Well, does anyone here remember the original Burger King slogan? I know it's a, it's a weird way to start a sermon, but I do have a point. In 1974, Burger King, in response to the McDonald's policy that they would not let you custom order food, Burger King came out with an, uh, an ad campaign called Have It Your Way. So here's an original uh, slide from the ad campaign here. I have no idea what they were doing with their meal here. I'm all for enjoying a Whopper every now and then, but let's be honest, no one has that much fun eating a Whopper, I'm just saying. So there was a line in their jingle that said this, uh, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. That was in the jingle. And it's, if you think about it, around 40 years ago, Walking into a restaurant, ordering something off the menu, the way you wanted it was a novelty. It stood out. Now there's very few restaurants where you can't go in and order off the menu what you want, how you want it. If they won't give it to you how you want it, you're never going back there. And you're telling all your friends not to go back there as well, right? We've been spoiled through the years. Burger King kind of led the way. Well, through the years, the ad campaign moved beyond just burgers, kind of into life itself. Here's a picture of a sign on a Burger King wall. Have it your way. You have the right to have what you want exactly when you want it. Because on the menu of life, you are today's special and tomorrow's and the day after that. And well, you get the drift. Yes, that's right. We may be the king, but you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. So in 2014, Burger King, after 40 years, changed their slogan from have it your way to be your way. Now listen, this is not a slam on Burger King at all. I am not calling for Christians to boycott Burger King. By all means, go enjoy a Whopper. I enjoy one every now and then myself, and Chick-fil-A is not open today anyway, so you may as well go to Burger King. Can I get a witness? Right? All I'm saying is I'm just using Burger King as an example. I think their ad campaign speaks to a deeper issue we have going on in our hearts. So when they made that transition to the new slogan, Burger King made this public statement, and I quote, Our new motto, Be Your Way, is intended to remind people that they can and should live how they want at any time. So if you want to put a name on the issue in our hearts that this illustration represents, the name is, and we all deal with it, pride. If you're new here, my name's Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, whether you're joining us here in the auditorium or on a video screen somewhere, whether you're new or a regular attender, I'm so glad that you're with us. Week number two of a four-week sermon series we are calling Love is Louder, Rising Above the Noise. That in our culture, there is lots and lots of noise. And we believe that the only thing that rises above the noise is love. Now, I've got to make a weird transition here. And I'm, I gotta give you some information about our church, some things coming up. And then I promise you, if I'm good enough, I'll even tie this all back into our message. So first of all, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. right here in the auditorium, we are having a night of worship as we celebrate the release of our brand new Element Music album called Sinners and Saints. I am so excited about this album and would love for you to be here. Uh, there's some new songs you've not heard and some ones that we've 
already uh, grown to know and love that we'll be doing at the event. Uh, also, we'll have the album available for sale tomorrow night and some uh, Element Music swag like what I'm uh, wearing today. You can get some shirts and hats and long sleeve t-shirts and whatnot. Uh, no child care is provided, but everyone, all ages, welcome to attend. Even if you don't uh, attend Element Church, invite people to come, use Facebook, social media, all that stuff. Seven o'clock tomorrow night, doors open, I believe at 6.45, the auditorium doors do. So that's, that's first of all. Second of all, We've been working as a uh, staff behind the scenes for months now with our volunteer leaders and our volunteer teams on some huge plans that I'm officially kind of sharing with our church for the first time today. These plans have major implications on how we move forward to accomplish our vision as a church. Our vision is to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. And there's lots of ways we live out that vision as a church. One of the biggest ways, though, is what happens right here on uh, Sundays here in the auditorium and with our kids' ministry. So far in 2018, we have experienced record attendance as a church. Uh, From January through May, we saw our highest average attendance ever in the history of our church, averaging 1,573 people. 1,573 people each weekend. If you take out Easter Sunday, we actually had nine Sundays over 1,600 people, four Sundays over 1,700 people, and that's only happened on one other Sunday in the history of our church to be more than 1,600 people. Happened nine times so far this year. Attendance always drops in the summer. It has gone down this year as well, but it's been a a record attended summer as well. So far, since the first Sunday of June, we have been averaging 1,272 people a week here at Element. That is 240 more people every Sunday than the same Sundays last year. 240 more than the same time last year. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So we are seeing attendance numbers this summer that we have never seen before in our church. All that to say, we are trending towards uh, what could be the biggest fall we've ever had in our church. Our 6 p.m. service uh, tends to be and and consistently is by far the smallest service and definitely has the most room to grow. And so I'd still even challenge people to consider going to that 6 p.m. service. But in our two Sunday morning services, especially in those high attendance Sundays, 1,600, 1,700 people, we are out of space. Now, you might walk into the auditorium on those big Sundays and see a lot of empty seats, but what you'll notice is they are in uh, groups of one and two, not five or six. So if a family like mine walks in and we need six chairs to sit together, you can't find it. They don't exist in the room on those big Sundays. We need more room. So, After much prayer, a lot of prayer, and a lot of planning over the last several months, we are ready to share with you uh, today that on Sunday, October 14th, we got some time yet, but on Sunday, October 14th, we'll be adding a fourth worship experience to our schedule. The times are on the screens, 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m., so we're making more space in that prime time Sunday morning slot, and then keeping our 6 p.m. service as Well, now, your reaction to my next statement might play well into today's message. For the most part, every Sunday, 
I will only be preaching live on the platform three out of the four services. I want to be the pastor of this church, and I want to keep preaching with passion the way I do that I believe God's designed me to do it for as long as God will let me do that. But for me to do that and remain physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy, I've just learned with my voice, three services a Sunday is about my limit. So every week, we will record the 8.30 a.m. service live. I'll be here live. And then one of the remaining three services will be video. More often than not, I'll probably preach live at the 6 p.m. service because that's where we have the most room to grow, and I'd like to shift some people to that service, and I would love to see you do that if you want to do that. So if you feel like the only way that God can speak to you is through the pastor live on the platform, there will be a service for you every week at 8.30 a.m. right here in the auditorium. So it's only your fault if you don't get to see the pastor live at 8.30 a.m. For those of you who want to complain about having to watch a pastor preach on a screen, I expect to also see that you have stopped going to the movies, watching TV, streaming Netflix and YouTube, renting Redbox, or cheering for your favorite sports team on a screen. Because we can sure be entertained on a screen. I'm quite certain God can figure out how to communicate the gospel on one as well. Okay? This is a good thing, by the way. I am excited about this. It's going to be a lot of work, but I am excited. We should celebrate the fact that not only do we need to create more space, but through the power of modern technology, we can communicate the gospel to more people by using high-definition video and having the people on our team that know how to figure that out. And I get it. I know. Not everyone is going to like a video sermon. I completely understand that. And so I say this not in jest, in seriousness. If you can only attend a church where the pastor is always live in every service, there are literally dozens of amazing churches right here in Cheyenne that you can attend. And if you need help finding a good church, we will help you do that. I mean that if it's that big of a deal for you. But here's the turn. I'm going to bring this back around to our message, okay? We need to remember that God's church isn't Burger King. We don't always get it our way. And that's kind of the point, right? Like, church isn't about us, me or you. Church is, first of all, about lifting up the name of Jesus, and second of all, about accomplishing his mission, which is to reach more people for him and raise them up to be like him. And as a church, we are committed to do whatever it takes to accomplish that mission with Jesus, including adding a fourth service and using a video to communicate the gospel. I'll be talking more about this as we lead up to that Sunday, but we've got some time, so you can decide whether you want to get up at 8.30 or not. October 14th is the Sunday for worship experiences. Now let's see if I can reel this back in, okay? Back to the sermon. Love is what? Louder. Love's louder. 
Once again, this whole series is born from the idea that in our culture, there is lots and lots of noise. And I believe, really, if you dig down deep enough into all that noise, the noise of anger, hatred, racism, division, all of it finds its root in pride. That, that life that we believe from birth, life is all about me. So if I don't get or if you don't do what I want, when I want, the way I want it, I'm going to raise a ruckus. I'm going to make some noise. And the reality is, when pride is at the root of my heart, then noise will be the fruit from my heart. So what's the opposite of that? Well, it's the big idea for today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down, and it's this. When love is at the root of my heart, then love will be the fruit from my heart. Can we get that on the screens, guys? Thank you. When love is at the root of my heart, then love will be the fruit from my heart. When love is the root, love is the fruit. You can tweet that, okay? So I got to ask this big question. What is the fruit of love? What's the fruit of love? Main scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, portions of verses 4 and 5 there. 1 Corinthians is the New Testament portion of the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles want to follow along there, you can. Everything we read will be on the screens as well today. And if you don't own a Bible, I want you to read it on your own. And we'd love to give you one. So ask for a Bible at guest services. We'll get you one free of charge. As I said last week, this is a chapter we call the love chapter in the Bible. It's all about love. The whole thing is God telling us that love is the loudest. Love is the best. In fact, the last verse of chapter 13 says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. Love is the loudest. That for those of us who follow Jesus, love should be the loudest in our life. Now, if you're here or you're listening online or watching online and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, at the very least, the very least, you will get to see today and in this series what is expected of us who say we believe. That this is how, as Christians, we are called to live. We are expected to live. I'll be the first to say we do not live this out in perfection every day. But it is our pursuit, and hopefully when we do fall short in this area of love, we will repent and confess immediately and ask the Holy Spirit to help us not ever do that again and live this out every day in our lives for his glory. Amen, believers in the room? That should be our prayer. So if, you, if you're not a believer, you are not held accountable to this standard of living. You are held accountable to your faith in Christ, but not to this standard of living. And as you hear what love is in this message, I think you'll agree, at the very least, we can agree on this, that life as a whole would just be better if all of us lived this out, right? Like life as a whole would be better if we were people that focused more on love. Today's only 10 words long in the scripture. And all these words come back to pride. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 13, last part of verse 4, first part of verse 5. 
Love is not jealous, literally does not envy. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Now you might see those words and you might be thinking, is this really that big of a deal? What's the big deal with a little bit of envy, a little boasting, a little pride? Well, it's a good question. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, God also inspired him to write the book of Romans. Romans 1, 29 through 30, God talking about people that oppose him says this, Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, there's the first one, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, Proud, there's another one, and boastful is another one. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. So the Lord tells us that envy, boasting, and pride are on the same level as murderers and haters of God. A couple of my children are in this service today, so I want to remind all the kids in the room, it also says that those who disobey their parents are equal with those who hate God. We can scare some obedience into our kids today, right? Like, you don't want to be a God-hater, do you? Then clean your room. Just gave all the parents a tool today. Joking aside, joking aside, apparently this is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. That if pride's at the root, noise will be the fruit. But if love is at the root of my heart, then love will be the fruit from my heart. So what's the fruit of love? First thing I see is this. Love celebrates with others. Love celebrates with others. 1 Corinthians 13 told us that love is not jealous. It doesn't envy. The word for jealous here in the original Greek language that this was Uh, written in, is what's called an onomatopoetic word. It's a word associated with a sound, mimicking a sound. So the word in the Greek language that we read here for jealous imitates the sound of boiling water. That's how you say it. With the hand motions. It means to bubble over or be deeply committed to something. So in the context here of our main scripture, it means this, I see something that someone else has, gets, or experiences, and I am deeply committed to wanting the same thing in my life, or I'm deeply committed to tearing them down for having what I don't get to have. It's bubbling over. With the hand motions. It's consumed with wanting something I don't have or tearing them down for getting what I don't get. So what's the opposite of this? That's what we want. We're all good at that. What's the opposite? Well, Adam Clark in his commentary says this, love is not grieved, it's not upset because someone else possesses a greater portion of earthly, intellectual, or spiritual blessings. Those who have this pure love we're talking about rejoice as much 
at the happiness, the honor, the wealth, and the comfort of others as they do with their own. They are ever willing that others should be preferred before them. Hello? Does that not rise above the noise? I mean, does that not stand out? That I would live in a way that others are preferred before me? That I would celebrate what others have? I would just simply celebrate with others? Just recently, a friend of mine said something that literally has helped change my perspective forever. Because I think if we're honest, we'd all say we struggle with contentment in this area, okay? So my friend's name is Todd. He's on our leadership council here at Element. We were driving down one of the back highways here in Wyoming, just enjoying God's beautiful creation here in our state, when off to the left, we saw this brand new, beautiful cabin. It sat on a private, not on the pond, but it sat next to a private like pond or, or lake. There's like a creek running through there. You can see the mountains off in the distance. I mean, it was, it was obvious it cost a ton of money to do what they did on that property. And we saw it off to our left and we were both like, whoa. And then Todd said something that threw me for a loop. He said, what a blessing. And I was like, homie, say what? <laughs> right? He said, what a blessing. I was like, what do you mean? He said, what a blessing that they get to wake up every day in that cabin and enjoy that pond and live on that property, have a view of those mountains. What a blessing. And I said, dude, that is a game-changing statement. And here's why. Because a lot of us, a lot of us, and I've been guilty, when we see someone who has a really nice house or car or property or vacation or whatever it is that we don't get to have, what we often say is this, I wish I had the money to do that. Must be nice having that much money. Or we'll cut deeper we say about them, well, that's a little excessive, don't you think? I wouldn't do that if it was my money. I've even heard Christians say this. How many poor people could they have helped with the money they spent on that? As if you're using all your disposable income to help poor people. <laughs> Which, by the way... Your attitude towards them might be one of the reasons why God's not blessed you with more yet. What a blessing. It's changed my life. It's changed my perspective. Friends, that is the kind of attitude that rises above the noise. It helps us stay above all the noise down here of jealousy. That instead of cutting others down for what they have or experience, what if we just started celebrating with them? What a blessing. And I'm not talking about celebrating people who are up to their eyeballs in debt, trying to finance a lifestyle they see others have, but their paycheck can't afford. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about a love that celebrates with others, that we'd celebrate their health and their promotion and their recognition and their property and their money and their job or whatever it is. What a blessing. What if that became our mantra? about other people's lives. You see, when I choose to celebrate with others, it helps create more contentment in me. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot of work to do on contentment. 
And it doesn't help when I cut other people down for what they have and I don't get. When I celebrate, I rise above the noise. So when love is the root, love will be the fruit. So what's the fruit of love? I've got to celebrate with others. Number two, love sacrifices for others. Love sacrifices for others. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not boastful or proud. And yes, that includes bragging and general cockiness. But it's not limited to that. These words are like so deep and weighty. The Sermon Bible Commentary described the opposite of boastful and proud this way. He who would love must be self-renouncing. All true love is a self-sacrifice. Where true love is, self-seeking cannot also be. Self is ever before others as an object to be served and to be surrounded by a halo of honor from others. Love seeks to serve and to lift others up with honor. So everyone knows what this is, right? What, what is this? Just tell me what this is. It's a towel, right? right it's a towel. Or it's a napkin, right? Right? It depends on how you use it, right? Like if you go to a restaurant... And you sit down and they have, you know, cloth napkins. You're going to take the posture of being served. You'll either put it in your lap or if you're old enough or weird enough, you'll do this. All right. Don't do this when I'm with you. I'll make fun of you. I'm just saying. But this takes the posture of I'm here to be served. It's what you do when you're in a restaurant. You take the posture of being served when you are a paying customer. But the waiter or waitress with the same type of cloth does this. It's the posture of serving. So the love Paul's talking about, this is the posture of love. It puts a towel over my arm, meaning whenever I wake up and I go into life every day, when I go to my job, when I'm out shopping, when I'm at school, when I'm with my friends, when I come back home to my family, yes, when I walk through the doors of my church, this is the posture I should have. A towel over my arm. I'm here to serve, not be served. Now listen, if you're, if you're a guest with us today and you're trying to figure out if this is the church for me, I might be a deal breaker for you today. I get that. Uh, or if you're here you don't believe in Jesus, both of that, those groups, you're off the hook for this next statement. But if you are a Christian and you call Element Church your home, this needs to be the posture of your love at this church. A towel over the arm ready to serve. Because when you come to church with a napkin, what you're saying is, I'm here to be fed and I want it my way. But when you come to church with a towel over your arm, you're here saying, I'm here to help the church feed people and I will submit to God's way. Listen, friends, you will only attend church with a napkin for so long. You'll either stop attending altogether, or you'll find another restaurant that meets your needs better. I can't attribute this to a name, because I literally couldn't find who I heard it from. It was on a podcast. I heard this last week, but here's the quote. It's amazing. People say, I'm looking for a church that can meet my needs. 
What we should be saying is, I'm looking for a church whose needs I can meet. So listen, whether we were headed towards a fourth service or not, I'd be saying the same thing, okay? Yes, we need new people to step up as servants as we head down this road of a fourth service. But more than we need you to serve, as a follower of Jesus, you need to be a servant. It's what God's created you to do. And yes, this goes beyond the church. Okay, there's other ways you can serve other places to do that. But if you're a believer, it should start in God's house and permeate into every other area of your life. And there's some of you who you've been coming to our church for a long time. You would even say this is your home church, but all you've brought is a napkin. And it's time to put a towel of service over your arm and step up and be a part of what God's doing right here where 17 little kids come to know Jesus on a Sunday. And because you serve, listen, volunteers, we have amazing volunteers, by the way, hundreds of them. I think our church leads the way in this. Every one of our volunteers in this room, you were a partner with God in all 17 children finding Jesus. You were. So for some of you, like your next step's pretty clear. You should fill out that card and go to the table and get plugged in with a towel instead of a napkin. If love's at the root of my heart, then love will be the fruit from my heart. So what's the fruit of love? Love celebrates with others. Love sacrifices for others. Which, by the way, let me throw this in there too. You don't have to use it. You don't have to pick up a towel. You can come to this church with a napkin until the day you die, and we will love and serve you with towels just the same. But you will never become the Christian God wants you to be until there's a towel over your arm in his church. Okay? Number three, love surrenders all others. Love surrenders all others. In the New Living Translation, which is the translation we use here at Element, mostly uh, the, that 1 Corinthians 13 words it this way, love is not rude. Now we hear the word rude and we think it fits more with last week's message on patience and kindness. And yes, just in general, as Christians, we should be less rude people, <laughs> right? Like in general, let's be less rude, but it's deeper than that, so deep. So a couple other English translations get closer to accuracy here by using what it says here on the screen. Love does not act improperly. Can we get that one on the screen? Can we get that one on screen? Yeah. Love does not act improperly, unbecomingly, or unseemly. That's what the word rude here means. It has, a, it has with it a sense of something vulgar or indecent. It means to conduct oneself improperly, disgracefully, indecently, to, to act in a manner that would bring reproach or dishonor or shame on the name of God. It's a deep word. And to be honest, I don't quite know where to go or what to do with this. Like, I could preach a whole sermon, I'm not going to, don't freak out, I could preach a whole sermon on this word rude. 
And after reading dozens of commentaries and trying to wrap my brain around this weighty word, I came to this conclusion to sum it all up. It was the third point. Love surrenders all others. Meaning, when love is at the root of my heart, that love will lead me to surrender all my wants, desires, cravings, urges, inclinations, beliefs, and opinions, and the resulting actions from those things, so that I surrender myself to the will and way of God, not wanting to be at odds with God with anything in my life or to act unbecoming of one of his sons or daughters. So that's a big word. That's so much more than rude. Hey, stop being rude. No, I was like, that's like change everything. Whether it's the language I choose to use, the entertainment I choose to enjoy, the activities I participate in, the substances I consume, how I express myself sexually. At worst, we should ask this question, is the way I'm living unbecoming of a child of God? Is it dishonorable to his name? That's the worst. At the bare minimum, I think we should start asking ourselves, am I even living differently than those who say they don't believe in Jesus? Is there a visible difference in my life? And here's the thing. I'm, I'm wrestling even now with this message. On some of this, I don't even know where the line is supposed to be. I, I could very easily get real legalistic on us and start creating some lists, and churches are great at that. And I could tell you, I, I, I could start telling you the words you can and can't say, the movies you should or shouldn't see, the activities you should or should not participate in. And for the most part, I'm just being honest, I could make a pretty compelling case that I'm right on those lists, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit can do a better job convicting you than my list can. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now to start literally wrenching your heart. I'm just saying, when an unbelieving world looks at those of us who say we believe, is there even a big enough difference in our behavior that we would rise above the noise of our culture? That we would stand out and be taken notice of? Sadly, sadly, when you line up the average Christian with the average non-Christian, there's little to no difference in our lives. And that bothers me. Church, we are called to be different, so different that it stands out from all the noise around us. So are we? Are we different? And please hear me. This is not about legalism. This is about love. That when I experience the love of Christ in my heart, it moves me to live out that love. And that love is not jealous or boastful or proud or unbecoming of a child of God. 
Now, can I do this on my own? Absolutely not. I need the mighty power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do anything good for my God. A love that celebrates with others and sacrifices for others and surrenders all others. This is not about us running from the world, by the way. Like we, we have sheltered ourselves for too long as the church. We're going to talk in our next series a lot about that. We kind of put up these guardrails and we're so afraid of being affected by the world that we have stopped affecting the world. So we need to go out into the world and live so differently that either the world has to change because of us or the world will get rid of us, either one. The Bible talks about. First Peter 2.12 says this. This is not on the screens. This is the last minute edition. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Among them. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. Not your rude behavior. And they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So I, I don't know how to land this plane. I'm just being honest. I think I worked on four different conclusions of this message. I'm not even using any of my work done. I just want to know. This is how I close first service. I'll close it this way. And I'm going to do this eyes open because we're prideful people. I want to know if you're a believer today. And you know there is an area of your life that is unbecoming of a child of God. And you want to acknowledge that and ask for the Holy Spirit with his love to root it out of your heart. I want you to raise your hand. Yeah. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. God, we don't want to be unbecoming of you. And Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that you're a God of patience and kindness and love. That even when we are rude, you still pursue us and love us. So Lord, hands all over the place went up. I ask you right now in the name of Jesus for your Holy Spirit's power to dig down deep into the farthest parts of our hearts. And God, would you root out those areas that are unbecoming of being a child of God, and would you fill it with your Holy Spirit? And Lord, would you help us leave this place and celebrate with others and sacrifice for others? And I pray we'd surrender all others to you. God, all of my life, I want you to have it and work in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You, you might be here, you, you don't even, you've never experienced God's saving love. I'd love to talk to you about that. Because everything we're talking about in the series is impossible to live on our own outside of one person, Jesus. He did it perfectly. He, he came, he died in your place, he sought you out, he served you. He rose from the dead and says, by faith in me, I can forgive you of all your unbecoming and make you into someone that looks more and more like me. If you want to talk to me about that, please find me in the lobby. Talk to one of our prayer team members at the back. Uh, talk to one of our staff members. Don't leave without talking to somebody about what it means to put your faith in Jesus. You guys have been awesome today. Let me just pray, pray a quick word of closing and then I've got two quick announcements for you. Just remain still. Lord, thanks so much for your word. It is powerful and true. 
Lord, I pray that for me, for our church, I pray that we would celebrate with others, that we'd sacrifice for others, and we would surrender all others to you. God, we love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new, so glad that you're here. I know today was a challenging Sunday, but I pray it's been good for you as well. Uh, Stop by the living room. Love to see you there. If you need prayer for anything, literally anything, got a great prayer team in the back of the room at the purple tent back there. Just stop by there. They'll pray for whatever you got. And then don't forget, tomorrow night, I want to pack this place out. We're going to have a blast tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Doors open, 645. Love you guys. Have an awesome week. You're dismissed.